This episode is brought to you by Shapeshift.io, the easiest, fastest, and most secure way to swap your digital assets. Don't run the risk of leaving your funds on centralized exchange. Visit Shapeshift.io to get started today. Hello, everyone. I hope you enjoy this interview with Taylor Monahan from My Ether Wallet, where we talk about security, especially in the context of the recent parody exploit. And the biggest three takeaways for me were A, security is really hard. There's also lots of great ways to combat it, things like audits, things like bounties, things like using MetaMask or hard wallets, etc. And then two, Another takeaway for me here was this really interesting thing around my Ether wallet and how they're experimenting with business models around open source and kind of working in the blockchain commons. And they've been really successful with the donation-based business model where, you know, instead of charging people, essentially people and projects charge themselves for the value that my Ether wallet has provided. So for example, ZeroX projects actively gave they call it a donation, but I think donation is the wrong term. It's either support or something like that, where, where they're actively saying, my wallet, you're doing great things. We're going to give you money for the value you've provided. So hearing about that experimentation is interesting. And then finally, this deeper dive on, on phishing and scammers, I think is crucial for the community here, where we need to not only evaluate how we can kind of be safer from these fishers and scammers, but also we need to talk with the fishers and scammers themselves to understand why they're doing these things and and, and to understand and make them aware of the ramifications they have on the community. So with that, hope you enjoyed the episode and uh, yeah, goodbye. Hello, everybody. My name is Reese Lindmark, and you're listening to another episode of Creating a Humanist Blockchain Future. And in this podcast, we take a systems thinking approach to doing good in the world, and we have a couple different series that focus on different system scopes. And today we're focusing on Series C software systems, where we dive into how software and machines are being built today. Um, and I'm very happy to introduce Taylor Monahan to the show. Taylor is a founder of My Ether Wallet, a client-side wallet. Uh, Taylor, thanks for being on the show, and welcome. Uh, thanks so much, Reese. Super, super excited to be here. Yeah, excited to chat. Um, so before we kind of dive into wallets, which is kind of a hot subject within the uh, blockchain and Ethereum community today, could you kind of give us an intro on my Ether wallet specifically, and especially how it relates to stuff like Coinbase or kind of the other wallets in the space? Um, yeah, absolutely. So my Ether wallet, you know, we call ourselves a client side wallet. Um, and it's, that's not like a very friendly, uh, term to regular people, but essentially what it means is that you are in full control of like one, like the interface you're using, uh, the, the keys that you, you access via my ether wallet, um, and therefore your funds and the security of your funds and all of those good things. So when we look at Coinbase, you know, Coinbase has a set of systems and databases and accounts and um, your account on Coinbase is your username and your password. And Coinbase actually holds your coins for you. And when you want to like withdraw them to move to my Ether wallet or you want to buy or sell for, for USD, um, you do that via their system. And without Coinbase, you wouldn't be able to do that. Um, with my Ether wallet, we actually just created this interface that interacts with the blockchain and it allows you to interact with the blockchain, you know, by clicking buttons and uh, typing things into form fields and that kind of stuff. So, you know, if we were to say disappear, uh, no longer maintain it, 
Um, you can actually download my Ether Wallet and run it on your own computer. You can run it offline. Uh, you could like change the colors if you wanted. Uh, you could do pretty much anything, and it would still work because we don't have that sort of account system and databases and all of that. Mm, got it. Yes, yeah, so that makes sense. So it is. It's you know everything is controlled by you as a person, especially like the keys are controlled by by if I have a my Ether wallet, they're controlled by me. Tell me a little bit more about this interface um, that you're using. Like, could I create a uh, a certain UI or UX thing and like slap it onto my Ether wallet, or, or how does that work? So you know we've had people, usually fishers, um, but we've had more productive members of society do exactly that. So they'll take the source code of my Ether wallet. Ubik um, is a good example uh, with their Pyrus wallet. So they basically started with my Ether wallet and um, essentially forked it to create something that was compatible with their chain. Um, had their like branding, which was green. Um, and, you know, had things that were really specific to their user base. And so that was really, really probably one of one of the most remarkable things uh, that that happened like pretty early on was, you know, people were taking the stuff that we built and, and building on top of it or, um, you know, kind of shifting it to a new blockchain or to to fit their users better or whatever it was. And that's that's awesome to see. That's cool. Yeah, so and to check, my Ether wallet is specifically for the Ethereum blockchain, I assume. Is that right? Um, yeah, but <laughs> so we actually um, – obviously, when, when the fork happened that created ETC, we started supporting ETC because our users basically demanded it. Um, and since then, we've actually added support for um, Expanse and Ubik and – um, I think you can also connect to MusicCoin via my Ether wallet if you have like the node instructions. And then we have all the test nets as well. And so all of those blockchains that I just mentioned, uh, Ethereum Classic, uh, Ubi, MusicCoin, and Expanse, those are all like Ethereum-based blockchains, mm. meaning that they uh, have the same functions and calls. So my Ether wallet just works with them. It's actually really, really incredible. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, you didn't have to do too much bonus work to do that. Um, and I like what you said about the fork that Ubik did where they – with the Pyrus wallet where – and these are kind of these new – I mean like we've done a lot of forking at kind of the data layer uh, thus far where like, you know, you know, like Ethereum Classic or Bitcoin Cash or what have you. But um, I'm excited to see these like UX forks, forks where you say, hey, here's my Ether wallet as a thing. We're just going to fork um, the code base, fork whatever, and put our own kind of wrapper around the data layer. That seems like a very powerful thing going forward. Um, cool. So let's talk. Um, so that's my Ether wallet at a high level. Let's let's dive deeper into kind of security within the space um, and with the Parity hack that happened recently where Parity, which is another uh, wallet in the space, they... Uh, they were ha they not really hacked. Hacked is the wrong term. Well, it's tough to say what exactly the term is here. But uh, 150 million to 300 million, depending on how you count, of funds are essentially locked within a uh, a contract that was killed. Um, and most of those funds are within Polkadot and Musicomi, I believe, or maybe Iconmi. Um, uh, so that has happened. And so this has kind of brought up this. This is the most recent thing that's brought up these new like security talks within the space. Um, and Taylor actually just had this great Reddit post um, um, that dove into how you're thinking about security. So could you kind of just at a high level tell us like how you're thinking about security these days and and especially in, in the light of this parity uh, security kind of issue? Um, yeah, so it's 
this is the blockchain. Like this is cryptocurrency. This is the sort of the world that we operate in. And it's taken me a long time to sort of realize um, like what, basically our security guys put it best. Um, his name is Ryan and he said, cryptocurrency is a global anomaly. And he like dives into like, basically how there's no other industry and there's nothing else like this um, that has like the amounts of the amount of hacks, the amount of compromises, the amount of issues, the amount of errors, whatever you want to call them. Right. Um, that lead to like this tremendous loss. And then he kind of talks about uh, what that means for my ether wallet as a company with employees and our own internal security policies and basically scares the absolute, you know, bejesus out of us. So when we look at, you know, what happened with Parity, um, it's, it's an indication of how new this space is. Um, it's like a call for us all to be better. Uh, it's a call for us all to hold each other accountable um, for the quality of our code and for the things that we do and we don't do. Um, it's a call for, for developers who use these contracts to store large amounts of money to um, be wary of... You know, even if it's a trusted name, to still be wary of the potentials for locked funds, lost funds, whatever. And to, you know, in my opinion, one of the most helpful things that your average person can do is literally ask questions. Like, it's not attack. It's not troll on Reddit. It's ask questions, you know, and, and get answers about um, whatever it is. So in the case of, of the parody multisig, you know, what happened was over the summer we had a situation um, that resulted um, in in the white hat group, like <laughs> essentially stealing first mm -hmm. all the funds and then redistributing. And the issue with that contract, with that parity contract that caused that, um, I won't dive into it because it's a lot, but basically that issue was resolved but there was a similar sort of issue that like wasn't caught at the contract library level. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, essentially the story is, I don't know how much we believe this guy, whatever DevOps one nine nine, you uh, know, now famous within the space. Yeah. <laughs> I found this story to be, I mean, it's like one of those, those, it's like no sleep on Reddit, right? Like it's like almost, it doesn't matter if it's true or not because mm -hmm. it could be. Mm -hmm. um, but regardless of whether a story is like factually accurate or not, um, the reality is, is that he's definitely not, um, you know, a genius, right? He was definitely poking around. He was definitely throwing things and seeing where they suck. And he was able to basically accidentally essentially suicide this contract which all these other contracts relied upon and now nobody can access uh their funds and that's not supposed to happen <laughs> and uh it should have been caught it should have been caught period it should have been caught either by an audit by the community uh by polka dot themselves by anyone using that contract should have at some point asked the question what's going on where are my funds actually what's being relied upon um, and I think one of the most interesting comments that I've seen is the reality that the intentions, the intentions of the existence of this contract that was eventually suicided, you know, was um, partially to reduce sort of the, the gas needed or the chain blow or whatever, because it should have been within a contract itself. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and it used to be like the original uh, audited foundation Galwood multisig 
was, you know, every single contract had the same bit of code in it. Um, you know, this, it's easy to say 2020 hindsight, but like this wouldn't have happened, uh, if that contract hadn't changed, Mm -hmm. it wouldn't have happened. Um, if that code was like within every single contract, I mean, it would have probably happened, but it probably would have been caught and the, the damage would have been less. Um, and you would have had to lock each one individually. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, um, like I hate to say this, but like it probably wouldn't happen if there was just simply more people in this space asking hard questions. Mm-hmm. Like we, it's just we're really, really new. The industry's still pretty sparse. And, um, you know, the the sort of accountability that I'm seeing, um, you know, in the community on non Reddit is um when when you're when people are trying to like hold people accountable they do it in a way that's you know either intentionally or unintentionally really really trolly hmm. and it's actually help anyone like i know that there's people that think that they're asking the hard questions or forcing people to be better or whatever but you know the 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 way that you approach it uh Basically, if you're uh, if you're a dick online, people are going to dismiss you as a troll, and you're not going to help anyone. Yeah. So, it's um it's one of those things that's like we just have a long way to go. We'll yeah. see how we get there, but we have a long way to go. Yeah, and I think I think you're right to kind of note uh, that, and then this is a whole podcast in and of itself. Is like how can we um, create a po- a culture such that it allows for accountability and frankness and honesty and vulnerability but doesn't make it so that when you're frank, you're actively being a troll, that you're actively angering people. It's like, hey, can we make a, a reality in which you're allowed to, and you, and, you, and you can push people and be critical, but but the, but the it's not received and you're not pushing it as something that in a troll-like manner, and we're definitely not there yet. Um, so let's let's kind of take a step back because you, you, you talked about auditing for a second there. Um, and I guess, you know, auditing is one of the things that you can do in the space, whether it's, you know, through like Zeppelin or through like least authority or what have you. How do you think about auditing and and is auditing the answer for like if, if I'm going to be any person who puts a contract, a smart contract online, you should pretty much audit or like, yeah, tell, tell me a little bit more about how you think about auditing within this community. So there's definitely two different sort of types of, uh, well, there's multiple types of audits, but I'm, I'm going to differentiate between two. Mm-hmm. There's like the auditing of um, like a code base or an existence like my ether wallet, right? So when we talk about audits for my ether wallet, we talk about auditing the JavaScript code. We talk about auditing our own security policies. We talk about auditing our infrastructure um, for vulnerabilities. We talk about things that could, um, you know, on, on every end, like we talk about auditing the team's two factor and whether they use it or not. Mm -hmm. Right. And then there's smart contract auditing, which is a completely sort of different scope in the sense that, um, you're auditing a contract that is going to live on the blockchain forever. Um, and you know, the, the good thing about my ether wallet is that if there's like a, if there's an issue or we have a vulnerability or we have something that could hypothetically be used for some sort of attack, we can change that. We can change that almost instantly. Uh, with a smart contract, you can't, mm-hmm. right? If if you have, um, you know, something go wrong, it's there forever. And, you know, that's, it's just a different world. And so when we talk about audits, you know, a lot of times I think I come off as, as sort of dismissive of audits. 
Um, but I'm not like, I think that audits are great. And I think that everyone should just do an audit and it should just be a default thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Like if you're, if you're launching a smart contract, yeah, just get it audited. Zeppelin's great. There's a number of people I have a list somewhere. If anyone wants it, like, you know, uh, of everyone that can audit smart contracts nice. and you just need to, to, um, to do it. But that said, we shouldn't be reliant on the results of an audit to inherently trust something because the types of attacks and the newness of solidity and um, the newness of the blockchain, you know, for the most part, like the Dow is audited, I think, twice. Mm-hmm. You know, the Dow is audited twice. You know, this, some of the smartest researchers in, in this space, you know, saw a similar Dow attack vulnerability maybe thing a couple weeks before, but they didn't find this one. So relying on an audit, you know, having, say, uh, an ICO or a project say, hey, we're audited, trust us, that kind of puts me on my heels. Like that kind of turns me off a little bit because it it shouldn't be uh, just this inherently trustworthy thing. It should be a piece in a larger package. Yep. So could you talk about that larger – it sounds like that larger package has a – or yeah, could you just talk about what what that larger package should look like in addition to auditing? Um, yeah, absolutely. So I think that audits are, you know, a great thing. I think that audits, like auditing early, um, is good. That's something that MyEtherWallet hasn't done, and I kind of wish that we had done an audit um, of version three earlier, simply because it would have probably given us some insights into how we structure the site or the choices we make at um, a really high level, rather than like little itty bitty bugs that obviously wouldn't probably be in existence on version four. So audits are one thing. Uh, in the ter- in terms of smart contracts and stuff, um, you know, I think one of the most important things is that um, we encourage and we incentivize developers to create, uh, you know, libraries or core components or reusable modules or reusable patterns or whatever. Um, I know that Zeppelin has taken some initiative on this. Um, I believe uh, there's a couple other people in this space that are that are working on this. Because at the end of the day, like, I find it terrifically silly that there's not, like, a standard, like, token contract. Mm-hmm. Like, why why audit 200 token contracts when uh, you can audit one and everyone can use that and then all these projects can save money, um, you know, and we can, we can all sort of uh, ensure this one thing is really great, yeah. right? Yeah, I like that. You asked that in your Reddit post where you said, hey, why audit everyone when everybody's going to do their contract anyways? Wouldn't it be more productive and efficient to just have one contract audited that, that everyone uses? Uh, and I agree with that, and that was something that people also noted about the parity hack was like, hey, why didn't they just switch to you know the, the multi-sig that Gnosis is using for theirs or whatever? It's like, hey, can't we just all combine? In theory, it might be a, a little bit of an issue because it's more of like a centralized – um, point of failure or whatever, but I generally agree that it would be good to see some kind of common collaboration around that. Right, exactly. And that's what I was going to say is that, you know, obviously there are risks to having everyone like say on the same multi-sig because, you know, in this case, this uh, vulnerability only uh, affected this like one segment of parity multi-sigs. Um, whereas if everyone was using the same one, it could have been yep. way worse. Yep. Um, you know, so at the same time, like, you know, I think that I am almost certain it's Zeppelin doing this. If it's not, I'm really sorry to whoever's actually doing this. But, you know, creating these sort of modules or patterns or reusable things that, um, you know, can can kind of be combined or be whatever, 
uh, to create a smart contract or to set up uh, a certain architecture or to have your contract be more modular or whatever it is, I think that that's um, probably a more realistic approach than just saying everyone uses the same multi-sig or um, even everyone uses the same token contract. Mm -hmm. yeah. But, you know, again, this is like, it's the newness of the space. It's the, you know, it's the the fact that we just don't have that many people and that many devs and and that many anyone in this space yet and as we grow and expand you know the the experiences of others will obviously contribute to a stronger ecosystem yeah yeah and i think I, th I think consensus is the other big one that comes to my mind that has good smart contract best practices and like good like consensus diligence and like you know really pushed on that security front as well this episode is brought to you by Shapeshift.io, the world's leading trustless digital asset exchange. Quickly swap between dozens of cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin, Ether, Dash, Bitcoin Cash, Augur, Golem, and many more. And this is not your typical crypto exchange. You don't need to create an account or share your personal information, and your funds are never stored on Shapeshift. This means that your hard-earned digital wealth is never up for grabs by hackers or other malicious actors. To get started, visit shapeshift.io, choose the tokens you'd like to swap, input your receiving address, and send your funds. It's that easy. Um, the another part of this that I'd like to get your take on is like bounties. How do you think about um, you know something like Gitcoin or what have you as a way to kind of push, uh, a way to incentivize and kind of put bounties on things? Do you, are you pro bounties, anti bounties? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually um, was on the phone with uh, Kevin from Gitcoin like probably last week, I think. Nice. And it was a really, really awesome call. I also was on the phone um, with some guys from L4 the other day and they're also thinking about bounties and how they can kind of help this space and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I love bounties. Like <laughs> do bounties on everything. <laughs> like when we talk about aligning incentives, like – you know, that's the entire point of the blockchain, right? Um, and so bounties are the natural way to get people to do the things that are good. Yep. And and that's that's like that's this is the whole thing. So Gitcoin really excites me. Um, getting sort of, you know, the 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 things that we've talked about with others are getting more high level, um, maybe tooling, maybe libraries, um, maybe whatever it is bounties on these things that we need um setting up like dev grants or dev funds or something for audits for projects that can't afford it but need it um and giveth i don't know if you've ever talked yep, to those yep, yep. guys oh my god like they're the what they're building is incredible and um i think that that these sort of gitcoin and giveth and bounty programs and incentivizing developers and also people regular people to have more due diligence to have more um you know checks and balances and do audits and uh create features like i think that this is gonna this is what's gonna kind of push us to grow the ecosystem and maybe also get out of like the ico mentality which would be awesome <laughs> <laughs> nice move away from the ico mentality and towards the future um so that makes i guess one other part of this that i'd love to get your take on is the kind of scams and phishing and like hacking side where people 
um, if you're in any kind of Slack channel, and this and this is so you know when you're in any Slack channel, if you're in that Slack channel and they're doing some kind of thing related to ICOs or airdrops or whatever, you're likely to get a ping from Slackbot that is a hack where they say, hey, um, or or is a phishing attempt where they say, hey, you got to do these things, and I click on this my Ether wallet link, and it's just a hacker getting in there, a fisher getting in there trying to get money. Um, and so people have, this has been serious enough such that people have like switched over to things like Rocket Chat and what have you um, that are more amenable to the kind of needs of the crypto community. Uh, how do you think about um, scams and phishing in this space? All right. So the exact opposite reaction to how I feel about bounties. Nice, nice. <laughs> like I, I just hate, I hate scams. I hate fishers. I hate, um, I hate that people are getting taken by them. I hate that people are like the scammers and stuff are benefiting from them. Mm -hmm. You know, again, when we talk about aligning incentives, like, it, you know, one of the things that makes cryptocurrency such a weird anomalous thing is that um, a fisher taking a single string of characters uh, can result in like utter loss that you can't recover or insure or, you know, there's nothing you can do, right? Like yeah. it's just gone, poof. So um, the thing is, is that at the end of the day, switching from Slack to Rocket Chat to Riot to Matrix to whatever's the next hot thing, mm -hmm. um, I don't think it's inherently bad because, you know, you know, choosing an open source solution is, is good. Like it's really, it's a good thing. But I don't think it's going to stop the fishers. Like the fishers will just move. Yeah. And so, um, you know, this is a hard problem to solve. We've taken like a number of different, it's been a roller coaster. We've taken a number of different, like, let's go down this path and try to stop them. Let's go down this path. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if you look at it from like a really, like, really, really bird's eye view, right? Uh, the fishers won't stop until it's not so financially beneficial for them to stop. Mm -hmm. um, right now, their sort of quote unquote overhead is the time it takes to uh, edit a script to spam the hell out of everyone, uh, plus $10 for a domain mm -hmm. uh, and, and hosting and whatever. But those hosting and, and domain packages, they pay for with Bitcoin that they just stole from users. Yep. So there's from like a technical aspect or, or, um, you know, like, oh, just buy all the MyEtherWallet domains or, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, oh, just like do more education. Like I'm a big proponent of education, but I'm realizing that we're unable to reach everyone. And so the only way to, I guess the only way for us like to stop the fishing on MyEtherWallet is to remove the user's ability to, uh, put their private keys on a website, which is sort of the path that we're aiming for right now. Yeah. Um, you know, so essentially discouraging. That's probably one of my biggest regrets actually is like even having it set up this way in the future or in the past and hopefully, you know, reducing that in the future. But, you know, using MetaMask with my Ether wallet is the easiest way to unlock your wallet. Mm -hmm. Using hardware wallet is the most secure and easy way to unlock your wallet. Um, MetaMask is literally easier than a private key. Mm -hmm. You can argue that a, that a hardware wallet isn't, but MetaMask is literally you click a single button. Mm -hmm. It's so freaking cool. So um, <laughs> anyway, sorry. I'm like really excited. Um, so wait, can I, can I uh, ask a question here? Because I, so yeah, anti-fishers clearly, um, and, and it's tough. I mean, because yeah, you guys are trying all these different ways to get around it and educate and whatever. And, and, and as you say, a great way to do it is to do MetaMask or use a hardware wallet. 
so one thing that I like to push back on with these is like, so for me, myself, I was, uh, I was personally, my like email was hacked. I didn't have, I had like a bad two factor authentication on and I, they like ported my SIM card, then use that in various ways. And so I, but, but I have almost, I have like very little money. And so they actually, after they hacked me, got into my Coinbase and whatever, they like sent an email from my email to myself um, so that I would see it later that said like, haha, you're poor essentially. Um, so I was kind of lucky or whatever that I didn't have money. But I think that there's a, whenever someone does some kind of attempted stealing, um, whether it's, you know, cryptocurrency or whatever, or like for me, like my car, which is like a 1992 Honda Accord, uh, was stolen twice in the last year. And each time it was stolen, I tried to ask myself, there's this desire to be angry and to kind of like blame others or whatever. But there's also like, kind of a root cause thing, which is like, well, why was the person on the other end doing that? Why were they stealing the car? Or why were they stealing, um, trying to steal my cryptocurrency and get in there? Have you thought about, or like, what are your thoughts on that side? Like, have you tried like talking with fishers and kind of understanding them as people, you know, cause that's what I want to do. And it might be kind of naive and optimistic, but that's my, my desire. Um, yeah. So we have not talked to the fishers. Um, I definitely like, I feel like I kind of know them at this point a little bit. Uh-huh. Like there's a couple of different groups and it's weird cause I'm, I'm weirdly like personal with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I identify like their sort of personality traits or quirks or whatever it is. Um, you know, the thing is, is that, um, when you look at like the motivations of people like fishers, um, everyone sort of has different motivations and same with like trolls online. It's, it's not going to be like one sort of, um, how do you say this? Like it's not one motivation and it's not black or white. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, some of the fishing groups that we've seen are, it's almost like a, like a job. Like they come out at the exact same time every day. Uh, they do the exact same thing. They put their heads down. They don't talk to people. Um, and then some of the other ones like are a little bit more talkative and they'll like pop up in Slack channels and like make fun of people. And, um, you know, when their site gets taken down, they'll put like a rap YouTube video up. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really interesting to see that, um, you know, the, the motivations are like the way that they operate are different, but the motivations are essentially the same. Like they don't, they just want, they want money and they want, some of them want like more attention or less attention. Some of them want to watch the world burn more so or less so. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's really interesting to see, um, that just being like, Oh, they're a scammer. Oh, there's a fisher. It, it's a little bit, it's so much more of a gray area. Yep. And then, you know, in the same way, when we look at the token sales in these projects, you know, a lot of people just call people like these outright scams And I think we see the same sort of um, spectrum where we see, you know, these things that are 100% like scams, like they are just solely operating to scam you and to get money and to run away to some island somewhere. Um, But across the spectrum, we have, um, you know, maybe really good team with like a really bad idea or a really bad team with a really good idea or, um, you know, good intentions, but just an absolute failure to, to produce that. Um, and you know, then up to like a good idea and like an okay execution or plan or whatever. Um, and so I think that over the, the next couple of years, as these projects, you know, develop out, it's going to be interesting to see which ones kind of, uh, make it through, uh, whatever's coming, make it through probably like the bubble burst a little bit mm-hmm. and, and, um, 
which projects like actually build useful features for the community and, you know, maybe a successful product um, and, and, you know, actually give back to Ethereum. Like that's going to be super, super interesting. And I'm guessing that it's not going to be the biggest names. I'm yeah. guessing it's going to be the people that we don't even realize exist right now. That are now. just hard at work, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, that and that, so as you say, yeah, there's a gradient from the ICO perspective in how uh, it can be easy now to say like, oh my God, the ICO craze, like anybody who's doing an ICO is bad. But in fact, as you're saying, there's a whole gradient of people who are, uh, you know, doing various good and bad things within ICOs. And same with on the, you know, Fisher scammer side, even though clearly a lot more on the negative side. If you are, I just want to put a, a claim out there. If you're a Fisher or a scammer who wants to come on my show you are welcome to come on and and we should talk about why you're doing what you're doing because it seems like it's bad for the community generally because uh, an awesome future version of reality is one in which the fishers and scammers aren't actively trying to do things and the one that taylor painted a picture of where the people themselves are using metamask or using hardware wallets so it's kind of like a double-edged um sword and pincer movement to to fix the the scamming and, and fishing um so with that let's kind of transition to a final thing here um and and i think it's just fascinating so could you tell us a little bit more um taylor about you guys just went through uh boost vcs um their tribe 10 uh and and just thinking about how you guys make money could you tell me a little bit more about how you make money um yeah absolutely so you know early on we were like uh so hardcore like free open source <laughs> free open source software like for life um and so we were 100 percent donation based meaning that the community would give us eth and then we would um spend that ETH except we didn't really spend it we just like held it um and so a lot of like if we have a, a maybe sort of a rougher month or the server costs are really high um it's like the early donations of ETH back when ETH was like a dollar or five dollars um you know that price increase can pay for a lot of servers these days which is really 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 awesome um and then back in see back in February uh, the swap tab that we implemented, which does uh, the Bitcoin to ETH swap, um, that brings in a little bit of money when you when you swap. And then we have affiliate links with Ledger and Trezor. And then we recently added the um, how to or the the flow for Coinbase to buy with US dollar. Mm. So all of these little things are kind of a similar. Uh, how do you say? Like they all are revenue sharing sort of affiliate agreements, yeah. right? And um, they are very, like, we we do pretty well, like, surprisingly well for them, right? Like, I did not expect uh, that that would be, like, a sustainable thing. And it's um, long-term, it's definitely not sustainable, but it definitely enables us to continue building uh, with some runway today. Uh, moving forward, though, is super, super interesting because what we're seeing is um, that there are some useful tools that either my Ether wallet could build to make people's lives easier, um, or like these smart contracts that have uh, opportunities for monetization. And one um, one thing that we've been working on, well, I haven't been personally working on it, but um, uh, it's called Domain Sale, and it's on my Ether wallet right now on the testnet, and then we're going to be doing mainnet soon. Uh, is essentially a place that you can like sell your ENS domain names, right? Mm. And what this does is that, you know, it'll link you up and uh, set you up and you can buy a domain or sell a domain and all of that. Uh, and then a, the smart contract itself uh, will take a fee and distribute it to whoever you tell it to, which, you know, in our case could be my Ether wallet. And so 
opportunities like this, where it's like this, this transaction type thing where the creators or the implementers or, um, whoever really like literally whoever, um, can get a cut of it for providing or creating or whatever and encourage future development. That's, that's probably what I'm more excited about than say just like revenue sharing agreements. Interesting. Yeah. So you're excited by these new smart contract things where you can, uh, use them for monetization by taking a fee or what have you. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. And I especially like ones that, um, you know, I'm totally against just charging a regular transaction fee on transactions, right? Like I don't think that that's, um, that's benefiting anyone, but if we provide an additional service that has some additional value, um, you know, and, and people want to do that so that they can do something easier or faster or whatever it is that I think, um, people hopefully will be willing to pay a really, really small fee for, um, you know, to help us keep building what we want to build, uh, you know, without begging for donations. Yep. 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 Exactly. Well, that sounds cool. And I think, I think that it is a funny, I mean, I think it's impressive that you guys were able to operate with donation based, you know, uh, a donation based model and is one, as you say, that was definitely helpful that you were getting those donations in something that appreciated, you know, hundred X or what have you. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I think that it, I'll be interested to see how you guys do this um, going forward. And But if you are someone in the space, I do love the mindset though. So if you're a, a person in the Ethereum space listening and you feel like my Ether wallet is doing helpful things, I like to, and my Ether wallet kind of exists in what I call like the commons in between a bunch of different projects. And if you, and I know like OX protocol, I think, you know, gave you guys like a $10,000 donation after their um, ICO or crowd sale. So like if you're, if you're in the, in the space and, and think that my Ether wallet is providing value, then I am a pro pro donation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> me too. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, clearly you are. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, well with that, Taylor, thank you so much for coming on and talking about both security and, and my Ether wallet generally. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This was this was a absolute blast to talk with you. Yeah, it was fun. Um, and thank you everybody for listening. And if you're interested also in supporting me within the Ethereum Commons or the general blockchain commons, you can go to patreon.com slash Reeslindmark. That's slash R H Y S L I N D M A R K. Great, thanks and goodbye, everybody. Bye.